I wonder, could I invite you, please, to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to Mark. We're going to read from verse 1 and read through to the verse 20. Mark, chapter 5, and reading at verse 1. And they came over onto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadareans. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus thy Son of the Most High God. I adjure thee by God, that thou torment me not. And he said unto him, Come out of the man, thy unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country, now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea, they were about two thousand, and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled, and told it in the city, and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus, and see him that was possessed with the devil, and had the legion, sitting and clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. They began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed, and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. We'll end a reading there at that verse 20 of the chapter, knowing that God will add his own blessing to the public reading of his precious word. 
Let us just very briefly unite our hearts together, please, as we pray. Father, we do thank thee for thy day. We bless thee that it is a day that we can come to thy house and we can listen to thy word and we can worship thee in spirit and in truth. How very quickly that day goes by from morning to evening and soon the course of another week will be engaged and the thoughts of the Lord's day can so very easily fade from our memory. But we pray that this day will be a special day for some dear heart. We pray that this will be the day that they will remember as the day when in loving kindness the Lord Jesus Christ came to them. Father, use thy word, we pray. It is thy word that is not bound. The limitations of the preacher are many, faults and flaws and failures, but thy word is true. And we pray that thy word tonight will come with power, with blessing, and above all, with the honor of our Savior's name stamped upon it. This we humbly pray for our Savior's sake and for our Savior's glory. Amen. The country of the Gadareans, that is the setting for the incident that we have just read, lies in the direction of southeast Galilee. Geographically, its borders include the nation of Israel, the nation of Jordan, and the nation of Syria. And due to its mountainous terrain, a few outsiders made their way to this isolated region. And this perhaps was the reason why the Orthodox Jew was not found in this area. They had either ignored the hostile region or had been unable to break through the demonic forces that had evidently dominated the area for a prolonged period of time. It is clear from this account in Mark chapter 5 that the main representative of satanic power was a man who was driven from his home and separated from his friends when a legion from Lucifer's demonic forces took up residency within his mortal frame. The fear that this poor specimen of humanity must have generated throughout the territory could not be quantified on any available scale. For those who tried to bind him, even with chains, found that this poor wretch could not be tamed through human endeavor. And that is what makes this account uniquely intriguing and spiritually challenging. Watching from a distance, he spies a boat coming in his direction. In normal circumstances, the sight of a group of people approaching the shoreline of the Gadarenes would have fired up his rage and ignited his uncontrolled hostilities. But even though his mental sensitivities were often entwined with the cords of tormenting agitations, on this occasion 
a totally different scenario was developing. Being possessed by a spirit who had been acquainted with the Son of God in eternity, he is driven to cry out, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thy Son of the Most High God? This record of the mind of Satan is most revealing in that it both acknowledges and accepts that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of the Most High God. Something that, may I just say, a number of modern versions of the Scriptures have failed to do. And it is in light of this recognition the demon-possessed man runs to worship the Son of God. But please note This was no ordinary agency of hell. Here was a man that called himself legion, signifying that Satan had invested heavily in this tormented soul. Now, while this miracle is to be numbered among the most remarkable on record, it is the variation of the responses that is prayerfully captured my interest for this evening. On one side, you have those who prayed him to depart out of their coast. And on the other side, you have this dear man praying that he might be with him. Now, I do contest uh, that these conflicting reactions have drawn a line of demarcation uh, through many sections of our societies. Do we not see it in our families? Do we not observe it in the villages and towns of our nation? Do we not behold it in the hamlets and dales of the roving countryside? And there was a time when this line was clearly seen in evangelical gatherings from one end of the United Kingdom to the other. But in a spirit of solemn lamentation, we are compelled to exclaim that that line has faded and in an increasing number of places has disappeared altogether. As so few evangelical places today speak of unconverted or unsaved men and women coming to listen to the gospel. It is an age when so few new people are gathering to hear words whereby they shall be saved. This has a profound effect upon the pulpit insomuch that evangelistical unction that enabled orthodoxy to function has been withdrawn and leaving in its wake a visionless pastor a visionless people and a visionless population. We need to pray that God would look mercifully upon us and rekindle that flame of holy passion for the souls of men and women who are traveling the broad road to a Christless eternity. This demonically dominated man was on the verge of hell whenever the Lord Jesus Christ intervened in his life.
And it is possible that some precious soul is in exactly the same position as they sit listening to the message of the gospel tonight. I earnestly pray that just as the Lord Jesus Christ made his way to this man, the same blessed Savior will direct his interest upon you. For there are certain aspects to this account that I desire just very briefly to draw to your attention. The first is the moment when everything changed. Verse 6 records these most precious words, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped. This was not only out of character for the man, it was contrary to all that his satanic master wanted for his life. Every night and every day, the disturbing, the damaging, and the demoralizing powers of darkness had turned this dear son of a mother and of a father into a raging fireball of devastating power. Being drawn to the burial place for the dead, his haunting voice echoed through the valleys and the ridges of this mountainous range. On occasions, he tried desperately to suppress the tormenting emotions that exploited every fiber and sinew of his body by cutting himself a stone. And when loved ones were constrained to bury their dead, a posse of men tried to bind him with fetters and chains, but all to no avail. From every angle, there was not a chink of light that could penetrate into the dark and damning recesses of his life. But when... He saw Jesus. The sight of the beloved Son of God, whose eyes were as the eyes of a tender dove, moved him to run towards him and worship him. Here I cannot forget that time when the Lord Jesus Christ was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And we read, And when the devil took him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, he said to the Son of God, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. To which the Lord Jesus Christ declared, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt I serve. It was not in the devil's script that one of the most controlled of his agents should not only worship the Son of God, but declare him to be so. Is it not clear that this enemy of all truth 
had reached the limits of his evil exploitation. He was no friend to his victim. But as soon as the captive saw the friend of sinners, the overwhelming power of the gospel instantly liberated him. Now, while few people in their lives will suffer the same extent of demonology as this man in the Gadarean territory, we cannot underestimate the similarities that embrace everyone who is born in sin and shaped in iniquity. In that sin has inflicted upon all of our lives a pain that is deep, a wound that is festering, a distress that is perpetual, and a hardness that is resistant. That is until we are given the spiritual insight to behold the one who was wounded for our transgressions, who was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. When we see the Lord Jesus Christ as the altogether lovely one, in spite of our sin, in spite of our iniquity, in spite of all that is evil about us. A dramatic and profound change takes place. And may I humbly suggest that that is the challenge that every preacher of the gospel is forced to confront. Preaching is not about some theatrical performance designed to excite the interest of the listener. Neither is it about generating a so-called good feel factor that is more the remit of the public entertainer. Our remit, our spiritual remit, is that men and women might be directed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as this dear man saw him, and immediately his unconverted life was dealt with. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. So the moment when everything changed for this demonic, was miraculous, was remarkable, and was life-changing. Which brings us to the men who emerged confused. When the news of this incident was communicated to the people in the city that the legion of devils had been released from their demon-possessed neighbor and had entered into the approximately 2,000 swine who were choked in the Sea of Galilee, they emerged on the scene to witness this dramatic and profound change that had taken place. And probably, for the very first time in all their experiences, they were taken back by the air of silence that had descended upon the area. The noise of the pigs that had foraged amidst the rocks and the stones no longer disturbed the now tranquil atmosphere. 
the cries of the man that had constantly articulated his physical, his mental, his spiritual agony had now fallen silent, and the men were confused. They began to pray him to depart out of their coast. Surely, on the basis of mere logic, they should have welcomed the transformation of the situation and heaped their praise and their thanksgiving upon the person who was evidently responsible. Prayerfully, I've tried to come to an understanding as to why they prayed for him to leave them. And the thing that stood out was in the fact that they were afraid. And this is what makes their position so confusing. I can both understand and appreciate their fears when the man was roaming untamed, uncontrolled, and unfettered. But now, he's a totally different person. No longer does he pose a threat to his own or other physical welfare. In fact, it is just the opposite. So what is the problem? Why are they afraid? May I suggest to you, is it not that they were in the presence of purity? The devil's legions had been expelled from the region with the sinless, spotless Lamb of God holding court with a dear man who was a trophy of divine grace. Strange, as it may now appear to many of us as we read this account, and those of us who have been translated out of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son, uh, the heart of the unsaved has a natural inclination to everything that is impure. They listen to so-called jokes that are impure. They, they watch movies that are impure. They use language that is impure. They read books that are impure. And with many available commodities in the market geared towards all these things, there is an air of impurity surrounding many unsaved people. The fact is this, that men and women out of Christ are attracted to such things. The conflict between the clean and the unclean, I believe, caused these men to be afraid. Put simply, they were afraid of the Lord Jesus Christ having an impact upon their lives. So they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. My son might suggest that is mere speculation on my part. Indeed, an unsaved man or woman might resent the implication that they are afraid at the thought of being found in Christ. But let me remind you of the devil's immediate reaction to the Lord Jesus Christ. What have I to do with thee? Jesus, thy son of the most high God, I adjure thee, 
torment me not. The thought of facing up to one's sin can only bring a sense of torment to the mind. And on occasions, it can generate resistance against even the messenger. There was no human explanation to what had taken place. Leaving the men who emerged onto the scene confounded and confused. And that is how it is with multitudes of people throughout the world. They see the effect of God's power in the lives of friends, in the lives of neighbors, in the lives of work colleagues, but the idea of confessing one's sin to a person that the natural eye cannot see just does not make any logical sense. And neither does it. But as long as dear men and women try to apply intellectual reasoning to this whole issue of being saved, they will never, never experience the blessings that are associated with it. Except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of God. To speak of a childlike faith is neither demeaning nor inappropriate. Rather, it removes any confusion from the message, the message that declares so simply Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. God is not the author of confusion. As is reflected here in the mind with everlasting contentment. Verse 15 describes this converted man as sitting and clothed and in his right mind. In those three expressions, we have all that we need to know about the spiritual benefits of being saved, of being in Christ. He is restful. He is righteous. He is renewed. The words of the psalmist in the 116th Psalm demonstrates the spiritual principle of being restful. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. It is significant that the word return is emphasized in that it brings us back to the day when God breathed his breath into man and man became a living soul. At that time, the sinless soul of man was at rest with God, its creator, but sin disturbed that rest, leaving man naturally agitated, naturally unsettled, and naturally fearful. For sin's uncompromising purpose is to distribute shame among the inhabitants of this earth. We see it from the royal family down to the streets of everyday living. 
Sin defrocks its victim of every vestige of respectability. It strips its captives of the ornaments of honor. And it opens up wounds of a most grievous nature. That is why the word of God is so precious. In that it brings us to the place where we can find rest for our souls. Take my yoke upon you, the Lord Jesus Christ said, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. But there is a problem. As we have noted, with the men who prayed that the Savior would depart from them, to many the offer of salvation is given. It's summarized in many verses in the Bible, like the one we read, stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and they would find rest for their souls. But the response was, we will not walk therein. That's the problem. The gospel is presented The way of salvation is brought to their attention, but in their sinful nature, they are saying, we will not walk therein. No matter how much we listen to the gospel, no matter how many appeals are made directly to our hearts, we will not walk therein. And that is what thousands upon thousands are saying today. The result is evident. We see a spirit of discontentment taking hold of the mind and in turn creating psychological issues that are dragging many to the brink of despair. Only through embracing the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior can men and women know experimentally that God will keep him in perfect peace his mind is dead upon him. This man was clothed. It's a beautiful picture of the imputed righteousness of Christ. But the natural question is, where did he get his clothes from? We know from Luke's account of the incident that he wore no clothes that he was naked. So someone must have given him clothes to wear. In my heart, I reverentially consider this fact, that my blessed Lord Jesus Christ would have removed his outer garment that he was wearing and put it upon this dear man. If that did not happen, of this I am absolutely certain. He was clothed in a righteousness that would never corrupt, and a purity that never would be stained. Soon he would know the reality of that glorious truth. The Lord Jesus Christ 
was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Such a glorious declaration secures the mind with everlasting contentment. But finally, there is the message wielding evangelistic compassion. Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. I thought much about this story and it has been a real challenge to my own heart. And it made me think about another man and I wonder was he the same man? It made me think of the man known as the prodigal Remember he went away from home into a far country? Remember that he fed from the troughs that the swine were eating from? Remember that he went home? I would not be surprised if this was the prodigal who had plumbed into depths of deepest despair. But away back, far from where he was, there was a father who was praying for him. And I like to think that if this was the prodigal, that his father's prayers were answered. There's people praying for you. And we bring this message wielding evangelistic compassion. The number of demons that possessed this man just could not be quantified. But they could not stop him from coming to Christ. And I believe that's how it is. When God puts his hand upon a person's life, there is not a force in hell that can stop that person coming to saving faith. Yes, they might fight it. They might resist it. But God will have the victory. I'm praying tonight, as others are praying, that this will be the very night When you will hear those words from our Savior's lips, go home. Tell thy friends how great things the Lord hath done for thee 
and hath had compassion on thee. Some have questioned, and with this I close, why these two thousand swine, approximately, were possessed with these evil spirits and brought to the Sea of Galilee, and they're drowned by choking. Can I just remind you of this? It's from the prophecy of Isaiah. There were some people who were using the the blood of the swine defiantly and in a spirit of rebellion as part of their sacrifice instead of using the blood of the Lamb. They were using the blood of the swine instead of the blood of the Lamb. The only acceptance before God is the precious blood of his only begotten Son. The sacrifice has been offered. It has been accepted by God the Father. I'm asking you not to refuse it but to come tonight and be wonderfully and gloriously saved. Thank you for listening. I trust that the Lord will graciously minister to your heart through his divinely inspired word.